Hey everybody, it's Robert. It's always good to get back in the saddle again, and after a long break from the Christmas and New Year holidays, we're about ready to drop another episode on you. Before we do that, though, I wanted to make sure I give a big shout out to our newest patrons, and that's Nicole McDowell and Tamika Burrow. They're our latest patrons on Patreon. And we also want to make sure we give a huge shout out to Stephanie Lincoln, who is our biggest patron on Patreon of Fireteam Whiskey. And if you want to join us by giving support, you can do so at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash mentors, the number four M-I-L. There's all sorts of tiers and ways that you can support us on there. And if you don't want to do that through the, the uh, Patreon site, you can also leave us a rating uh, and uh, your comments and everything on Apple Podcast or on one of the other apps uh, for podcasts, or you can go to our Facebook page and uh, search for Mentors, the number four MIL, and leave us a comment and a rating there. And now it's time to bring you another great episode of Mentors for Military kicking off 2019. So sit back and relax and get ready to enjoy Mentors for Military. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. I think what we ought to do is just kind of dive right into it. And these guys didn't get a chance to hear from you, Sean, Bo Scott, and Eric, the background story and everything of how you and I met and not only that about your friend and, and all of that, and maybe even start off with growing up and everything. I think that might be even helpful to kind of lay into the story of how it is that the two of us met. Yeah. So, um, so I never served guys. I, I was a, uh, a high school skateboarder who listened to punk rock music and, uh, you know, was pretty much just running around doing anything that was the exact opposite of what my parents would want me to do. Um, kind of standard teenage behavior. And I had a couple of close friends. There was about six of us, seven of us that ran around thick as thieves. And I, we all had that, those, those groups in high school that became, you know, for, for a lot of us, lifelong friends. Um, and it was a very eclectic, different group, the guys from all different walks of lives. But the, the kind of centerpiece to that group of friends was a guy named Glenn Doherty. Uh, so we all were raised in a little suburb outside of Boston, a town called Winchester, Massachusetts. And, you know, it's about 20 minutes outside of Harvard Square, 20 minutes out of Boston. And it was this this kind of like eclectic group of teenagers who all just had one thing in common. And that would probably be teen angst. So, you know, we're talking about guys that were on the wrestling team, guys that were skateboarding, uh, guys that were playing hacky sack out in the common. Um, and Glenn was kind of the central figure in the group. And and part of that was because he was just incredibly charismatic. Um, and just a, a just that beam of positive energy. Like he was a guy who'd come into a room and light it up from a very young age. And, you know, people are drawn to a, a bright, shiny light bulb. And and he brought that warmth and energy. He also was a guy who was more responsible than the rest of us. And I think like an easy story or example of that would be his kind of early shuffling into entrepreneurship. So Glenn interned uh, painting houses when he was 15 years old. And when he was 16, he started his first company. And, and he wasn't a lifelong entrepreneur. He just saw the opportunity to make more money. So he hired my brother and two of our close friends, and they started a painting company. And these guys were super into the Grateful Dead at the time. 
And so they named this painting company, House Painting, uh, Terrapin Painters. Oh, I thought it was going to be the Deadheads. You, you threw no, my, it, I was I was just waiting. But but you know I I can see Eric laughing down there because now you're thinking <laughs> okay these guys named a house painting company after a turtle right. that does not inspire <laughs> speedy craftsmanship and good work. <laughs> you, you had me at the point to the punk and now now we're <laughs> went out a different avenue <laughs> completely like. I was the punk rock group in, 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 you know, in the punk rock side of this group of friends, and everyone else went, went Grateful Dead. So they start this painting company, and Glenn is at the helm of it. And, and he's so charming and charismatic, he manages to talk a couple of our friends' families into painting their houses. And sure enough, Terrapin Painters were not the fastest group, so they go ahead and they, you know, they get the job done. But the point of the story is that you know, Glenn had that power to pull people together to get an idea and to see it through. And that rallying personality that that he had, that that person that could that could do all those things was it was just always exciting and fun to be around. And Glenn and I quickly clicked um, out of this kind of mutual thirst for adventure. And we moved as soon as we graduated high school, everyone scatters and goes to college. And Glenn and I were the first two to peel off and drop out. So we're 19 years old, did you know a year of college, and then we're like, well, let's go skiing. Uh, for me, it was snowboarding. For Glenn, it was skiing. So, uh, you know, college will be there in a couple of years, whatever. Meanwhile, all of our friends are, you know, marching towards their bachelor's degree, their graduate degree, and Glenn and I are like, we're going to go chase powder in Utah. So we move out to Salt Lake City. <laughs> Uh, we get jobs as dishwashers and lifties at Snowbird, uh, you know, which is uh, up Little Cottonwood Canyon. It's a famous ski resort, and it's an awesome one too. It is. It, it's good times out there. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years, and we have this dream, and the dream is Glenn wants to become a professional skier, and he's a really good skier, and I want to become a professional uh, pro snowboarder, and turned twenty one, twenty two, and I got really lucky. I got endorsed for snowboarding. I was able to kind of live that dream. All of a sudden, I'm getting free product, and I'm traveling, and, and it's awesome. Well, Glenn hadn't quite made it, and in that time, it was the 1990s. The ski industry wasn't doing so hot. Snowboarding was, so I was having a blast, and he was schlogging it out. Uh, but being that hustler that he always was, he took summer jobs as a river guide, as a ranch hand. Um, he was a waiter in a fine dining restaurant, so he actually knew more about wine at age 23 than hell any of us knew about drinking beer. Nice. And <laughs> and you kind of see this like this cosmopolitan side to him that knows about fine food, fine wine. He can guide you on a river. He's a competent skier, a mountain biker, and just a really eclectic individual. And we did all those things together, like just running around. So. We just saw life the same way, and and you know, hell, we hitchhiked to Alaska one summer together to go get jobs on fishing boats. Um, you know, like we just did all sorts of just no different bands. things that most of our friends were doing. Yeah. Um. So we're we're turning twenty four, turning twenty five, and all of a sudden you're at that point. I think when most of us take stock of our lives and go, what are we going to be when we grow up? Now, at this point, all of our high school buddies have graduated college. A couple of them have gotten married. And Glenn and I are these two ski bums living out in Utah. Um, I'm loving it because I'm getting free snowboards and I'm traveling around having a blast. And Glenn's sort of saying, you know, 
if I haven't made it as a pro skier by the time I turn 25, I'm going to join the Navy and become a Navy SEAL. Just out of the blue. And I'm like, what? What's what's a Navy SEAL, one, and and how did you come up with this idea? (laughs) And Glenn had just gotten home from a trip to Costa Rica. He went surfing for a month or so. And he met a couple of Navy SEALs down on the beach in, you know, middle of nowhere, Costa Rica. And he palled around with these guys and they put an idea in his head. And they said, you could do this. You have what it takes. And that was all he needed to, like, have a new challenge and a new thing that he could do to go out and just get after it. So a year later, turns 25. He's not a professional skier. And he says, Sean, you want to drive me down to the recruiter's office? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, let's let's go. Like, you really want to do this? Yeah. And, and to be clear, it wasn't whether he could do it; it was that he was going to do it, um, and that was kind of a given. And, and I knew nothing about the training or the intensity or the craziness of of any branch of military. I just knew that it was the polar opposite of everything that we had lived up until that point in our lives. You know, touring with the Grateful Dead. Punk rock concerts, skateboarding, skiing, you know, river guiding. Like this was as far opposite of that life as you could possibly get. And he wanted the challenge. So, hell yeah, I'll drive you down there. Drive him down to the recruiter's office. He goes in. He signs his paper. I'll never forget the recruiter comes out, takes a look at me, and he says, you coming in, son? And I said, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Make it very clear. That's a hard pass. (laughs) That's a hard pass for me. And, and, you know, I, I... I was, you know, I was happy for Glenn. I was happy to support him. That's what friends do. You know, I I asked him the challenging questions at the time and he was hell bent on it. Um, and it wasn't an impulsive decision. It was, I want to do this next. I want this challenge. And next thing you know, I'm down in Coronado going to his buds graduation and I'm meeting a handful of guys, um, that would become my friends over the next 20 years and became some of Glenn's brothers. And it was a fantastic transition to watch from the sidelines and then ultimately to be to become a culture that I, I was fortunate enough to get immersed in later in life when I moved to San Diego and a lot of these guys that Glenn worked with became my close friends. Um, and, and I mean, but wow, like talk about this this thing from high school where you're you're running around super counterculture to breaking out of the college routine and going and ski bumming and then all of a sudden you're you're in the Navy and you're a Navy SEAL. Right. Uh, and that was Glenn. It's he, always he lived funny this to life. see how that works. Yeah. It it really is. I mean, uh, every one of us have a similar type of story. Of course, you know, I think it was Scott that actually went down there with a friend and the friend ended up staining him up. Him up. They were both going to join, wasn't it, Scott? And, and uh, yeah. his friend leaves him uh, at the uh, recruiting well, I, station. I wasn't going to join. I just went with him. He wanted to join and he never did. And that I was on the train <laughs> off to go. So. The, the rest is history, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, that's, and then yeah. I was like this crazy little Midwestern kid that loved Pennywise and Goldfinger and all the punk rock bands just as well. And I was like, I'm tired of hanging out here. I was like, I want to go do something. And so I signed a Ranger contract in 98 and shipped off in 99, like a month after I graduated. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, you know, I, if I didn't have snowboarding, it's, it's hard to say. My plan was to graduate from college and join the State Department. So I got a degree in political science. I was interested in that world. 
And I thought, boy, what a great way to travel the world, join the State Department, become a security officer and, and go that route. Well, snowboarding had other plans for me and I was able to turn it into you know, a career and a lifestyle that took me down a very different path. Um, but I remember like I, I was interviewing for a job at Burton Snowboards when I was graduating from school and I was done snowboarding. And the only reason I took the interview was because the civil service exam to join the State Department wasn't scheduled until September and it was January. And I'm like, well, it can't hurt. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, I'm I'm traveling around and I'm Sean White's team manager working at Burton Snowboards. And I'm like, well, That's all right, I, cool. this is a little different than what I thought. I thought I was going to be in language school figuring out what country I was going to go live in for the State Department. But hell, I'll go to the X Games instead. It's <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, and, and Glenn was, of course, you know, a, a part of all of that because he'd be off on deployments and stuff. And we'd we'd keep in touch. And, and that was one thing, again, kind of going back to Glenn was – he was this glue for this group of friends. Or he was literally the conduit for all of us. Uh, we used to jokingly call him the Facebook before Facebook after you know after it came out because Glenn would literally be the guy who would write you a letter. And I mean, you know, imagine that. Like, yeah. Aside from picking up the phone, to get a letter in the late 90s and the 2000s after email's been invented, and it was always be from Glenn. Taking the time, you know, on deployment, wherever he was, and just handwriting out something that is thoughtful, asking about you, and genuinely caring about where you are in life and what you're doing. And I mean, that that's who he was. So it was it was pretty cool. So when was it that you ended up moving to California? Well, was it while Glenn was stationed there, or was it uh, well after? Yeah. So so Glenn was at Team Three. Uh, he was stationed down in Coronado. So he was living in San Diego. I took the job with Burton Snowboards, and they wanted me to live in Encinitas, which is in North County. So it's about a 30-minute drive sure. uh, from downtown San Diego. So we just picked up right where we left off. You know, whenever he was in town, uh, we'd do everything together over the weekends and, you know, run around. I got into road biking and kind of distance running as trying to just keep up with him because obviously his fitness levels, you know, kind of excelled there. And uh, so, you know, keep up with Glenn on the weekends. And uh there was a handful of us actually from the same small town from Winchester that all moved to San Diego together. So, you know, when the Red Sox went to the World Series in 04, you can bet we were all sitting around a handful of Super Bowls. Uh, you know, we've, we've all been together for those New England sport events. I don't pick up the accent from you, though, Sean. I never heard anything that sounds like the car, you know, car. No, <laughs> you know, you know, Robert, you get a couple beers in me and it changes. It goes ah, there it quick. is. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if that was what the uh, concoction required. <laughs> yeah, that just add a little bit of that fuel. Um, no, it was, uh, you know, my parents, my parents were, uh, were Canadian originally uh, before coming to the U.S. So I had more of a Canadian accent in the house than a U.S. accent. Um, it's funny, too, though. Glenn was the same, same accent, way, isn't it? Well, uh, <laughs> somewhat, <bit>. yeah. <laughs> it's Lost a car, eh? <laughs> Man, here I am trying to be a chameleon and you're just getting busted. <laughs> you are a conglomerate chameleon. So yeah. we now you've been found. Yeah, yeah, I'm all over the map. Um, but yeah, you know, so, and Glenn, it's funny, he didn't have much of an accent either. Um, we've got these, it's funny, you know, now, now that history has unfolded and, and, and he's passed, one of the post-military jobs that he did, not to jump around too much, but he was on this TV show called The Wanted, which was a documentary series on ABC or something, and he was one of the support security guys for it. And when he was on the series, 
you know, they had all these candid interviews and then he was off camera. They do off camera interviews and he, just no accent, like well-spoken, articulate. It's awesome now to look back and think that he has, you know, we have this library of footage of, of stuff of him just talking shit and, 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 you know, having fun. Uh, but yeah, no accent either there. Um, but yeah, so he, you know, we're, we're both in San Diego in 2002, 2003. Um, obviously, you know, this is post 9-11. This is Iraq war. And by the end of 05, you know, it's time. Glenn's almost 10 years in the Navy. He's done a decade. Uh, he's done multiple deployments. And it's time to transition out. And so he, you know, had just bought a house in Encinitas. So he was now living right down the street from me. And, you know, he's married. And he's like, oh, I, I got to make ends meet. I'm getting out of the, what am I going to do next? And now, now we're entering into like the, the biggest question for special operators that, that I've come across, which is how do you successfully transition out of the military? And, uh, and Eric, I know you're talking, this is an active part of your daily life is what do guys do? Robert, you, you know, same for you and, and Scott, you know, I, I imagine the exact same thing. How do you take this highly specialized skill set? And, and how does it translate into civilian life? What are the jobs you can do? What are the things you can do? And in Glenn's case, how do you complement this thirst for adventure, this way to challenge yourself in a new, different arena? Glenn didn't find that answer immediately, so he turned to government contracting. Many, which many is a, do. Many do, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've come to find that out. I, and all of a sudden, Glenn is out of the Navy but he's contracting back in for government service, uh, primarily through the CIA, uh, the GRS, like that whole crew. And he's gone half the year, two months out, two months back, three months out, two months back, whatever the ratio was. And he's making stupid good money. Uh, you know, he went from, you know, an E6 paycheck to, you know, 150, 200K a year. Like, how do you say no to that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's tough. Glenn actually had an expression for it, and you guys can maybe edit this one out. But I remember he told me about the money. He's like, man, that is a sore dick. You just can't beat it. (laughs) (laughs) I think worse has been said on that show, So on the show, so it'll be good. (laughs) Perfect, perfect. So anyways, he he gets into this line of work. (laughs) And, um, and, And, you know, when he's home, he's home. He is cooking. He's gardening. Uh, you know, we're working out a bunch. We we joined a local gym. Uh, you know, in in Encinitas, and you know, we're, we're on the early cusp of this whole CrossFit thing. You know, I remember being in 2007, 2008, and we're we're doing workouts at the local YMCA, trying to teach each other how to do handstand push-ups and kipping pull-ups and you know, power cleans and all these different. Need some more chalk. Yeah, where's the chalk around here? We're at the YMCA. There's like a, you know, two eighty-year-old ladies on, you know, pedal bikes next to us, looking at us like we're crazy. Um, but you know, that was the kind of stuff we were always we were always into. Was how are we going to push ourselves? How are we going to how are we going to constantly like move the bar and and improve ourselves? And it, you know, it's awesome when you've got a friend like that, man. You you got to rise up and, and kind of, you know, and rally. And Glenn always brought that energy to the table. So when he was home, it was on. And when he was gone, he was that Facebook personality. He was writing emails, writing letters, keeping in touch, like making sure everyone stayed connected because his friends were his family. Um, and that's, again, that's a special thing to have in your life. And, um, 
you know, so a couple years goes by, he gets a divorce. Uh, he moves into my house. A year goes by, I get a divorce, and I end up moving into his house. So now we're two 40-year-old roommates living in Encinitas, single, um, having the time of our lives. And he's still deploying. And we, you know, we're talking about, like, here we are at this later state in our lives. The last time we got checked ourselves was at 25, and he joined the Navy. Now it's, hey, what are we going to do? And he was really looking. What do I do? I can't. He knew he couldn't contract forever. He knew his body wasn't going to allow him to do that. Right. So what? what's next? Firefighter, you know, maybe he's going to be a physician's assistant. He looked at being a, becoming a commercial pilot. And the what whole his, idea of- What was his background oh. in the SEAL team? I mean, did he have a specific specialty that he was utilizing here within the CIA or just the knuckle dragging door kicker? Uh, well, a little bit of both. So he was a he was a sniper and he was a medic. Okay, the, the medic side so, is what I was picking up when you were talking about the medical background there. Now, at this time frame, though, Sean, were, is my understanding correctly that you became a professional snowboarder, though, or was well, that-, that was so in the nineties, in our twenties, when we were roommates out in Utah, um, that's when I got sponsored for snowboarding. Oh, okay, so so I snowboarded for a living from like you know ninety. 394 till about uh, 1999 2000 gotcha and i used the money from snowboarding to pay for my college degree so when i went back to school during that time got my degree wrapped it up and that's when i got hired by burton snowboards to go you know run around with uh, with their team gotcha. that's when i kind of made the transition to action sports marketing um but and that was the same time glenn joined the navy and you know and, and became a seal so okay. i was traveling around with Sean White and doing the contests and all the other guys. Um, and Glenn was, you know, flying around the world on a, on a very different mission. Oh, yeah. And then I was working in action sports marketing when Glenn got out of the Navy, and we were both living in the same little small town in Encinitas here. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I guess, you know, fast forwarding to when we were roommates, then you're kind of having that, what am I going to do now? And I kind of had my career set for what I'm doing. And Glenn was like, I think I'm going to become an airline pilot. So as part of this whole person who's restless and always stands for self-improvement, as soon as he got out of the Navy, he knocked out his bachelor's degree. Then he went to flight school. And he's doing all this in between these deployments, right? Yeah, he's like, I'm going to go to Iraq for two months. But when I come back, I'm going to do a semester's worth of college work. Oh, and then I'm going to go to you know Mexico City. But when I get back, I'm going to knock out my pilot's hours. You know, I have to fly a certain amount. So he always had something going on. Um, you know, he got a part of a small startup called Win Zero that he was trying to you know make happen to develop a shooting range in San Diego that didn't work out because uh, the Sierra Club and a bunch of environmentalists were worried about a spotted owl or a lizard or something that you know might get lead poisoning. <laughs> Happens. The darn spotted owl. That, that like damn owl pops. Woodpecker. Yep. They, they come up, man. Like even in San Diego, there's a spotted owl. Go yep. figure. Uh, so. <laughs> yep. um, so so yeah, you know he's he's exploring what to do, but he's still restless. He still doesn't have that answer, and the money's still there to contract. And so you know, the fall of 2012. He is deployed to Tripoli, and he's stationed in Libya. And, you know, the mission that he was on was, you know, hey, there's a lot of shoulder fire missiles out there. Go gather them up. So, 
what he did for GRS was a combination of security work, um, and and I'm I'm just telling you what, you know the baseline of what I know. Right. Uh, he would basically go out with a CIA guy who's really really smart but really really dumb, and <laughs> the CIA guy was really really smart in that he would have language skills, but really really dumb in that he didn't really know how to handle a weapon very well, and so Glenn would basically be there to make sure this guy didn't screw something up. So the They'd drive out somewhere with a suitcase full of cash, and Glenn's job is just to make sure that nothing went wrong and that this guy would hand over some money, would get some information back. They walk away. Everyone's happy. And I remember one mission that he told me about. He's like, these guys, I mean, they went to MIT. They're so smart, but they're so dumb. I'm like, what do you mean, man? He's like, well, he's like this one agent. He's like, we go to this house. It's like this little mud hut in the middle of nowhere. We got $50,000 in cash. And we go in there, and it's like it's a hot neighborhood. He's like, I got my head on a swivel. Like, there, anything could go wrong. We leave, put the money down, get the information. We're in the car. We're driving away. And the agent looks at me and goes, um, I think I left my weapon there. <laughs> oh, my oh God. My. And Glenn's like, what the fuck? You got to be kidding me, man. Literally has to turn around, drive back to the mud hut, you know, Knock on the door. Yeah. Excuse me. Our apologies. Can I have my gun Excuse back? <laughs> I think I left it here. Um, it's in the size of a nine mil. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is on the on the sash. Thanks, guys. <laughs> it's the black one. Yeah. So, um, so you know, stuff like that. But, um, but you know, he's in in the fall of 2012. You know, and I'll, I'll never forget him leaving the house and, and you know, and, and our goodbye. Um, and then him going over and flying over. And, you know, I get a phone call from him, uh, sat phone call or whatever, like two days later. He's in Tripoli and he's he had just broken up with his girlfriend. So he's, he's like, hey, can you check in on her? Can you make sure everything's okay? And, uh, you know, like, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, no big deal. And, you know, the, the next night I'm going to bed. And there's something on the news about, you know, some skirmish in, uh, you know, this happened around the Middle East, like one was in Egypt. And I'm like, all right. And then something pops up about Benghazi. And I'm like, and this is Libya. And I'm like, well, Glenn's in Tripoli, so he's nowhere near Benghazi. But I write him an email. Hey, bub, keep your head down. Like, hope you're good. We'll talk soon. And I wake up the next morning and there's more news about it. And I'm like, huh. All right, so I reach out to him again, just like, you know, you good? Everything cool? And, you know, I get on with my day, and the next thing you know, you know, somewhere mid-morning, I get a phone call. And it's from an 858 number, which is a local San Diego number, and I answer it, and it's, hello, is this, you know, is this Mr. Lake? Yes, I need you to go to your home address right now. And I'm like, well, why? And it says, I'm so-and-so with the CIA, I need you to go to your house. And I'm like, oh shit. And I, I, I knew right then, I knew I knew what was happening, but it was, you know, it was a surreal moment. This is like what they say happens when you get in a car accident. You remember every single detail of that car accident. It becomes hard impressed into your brain. And I will never forget that phone call and I will never forget what it was like driving up to my house and which was Glenn's house. It was it was our our place, and there's two black SUVs in front of my house, 
and four people in you know black suit tie the whole the whole nine yards and i walked them into the house we walked into the backyard they sat me down and they told me the news and they said you know glenn died uh we don't know a lot of what happened uh we're still trying to figure it out but you are listed as his next of kin and i'm just i'm in shock i'm what no 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 glenn was in tripoli yeah, Glenn, you know, I got a little bit of detail that he went down to Benghazi to help save American lives. And um, and they're like, we need your permission as listed next of kin for us to go and contact his family and reach out. I'm like, of course, like, go. And next thing you know, the family's flying to Dover, and I'm planning a funeral with them in Boston, and I'm on a plane, you know, a day later, and then the rest is history. You've got this major international incident that Glenn was one of the four Americans killed in Benghazi. Yeah. I have been a, a casualty assistance officer and had to, you know, provide that type of information to family. And, and I can tell you that as difficult as it is to receive it, it's, it's equally difficult to give it. Um, it's one of the hardest things to, to have to do, I think. And, um, you know, I mean, for you to be selected, as the person and the primary point of contact, I think that that speaks volumes of you too, though, Sean, because um, were you aware of it at that time frame? Did you have any clue that he had selected you as that individual or had he told you ahead of time or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had, you know, when I, I'm sorry, I kind of skipped a part there earlier, but when, when we were, you know, two guys, 40 years old and roommates, we had made out our wills to each other. We had kind of said, hey, we're adults now, and we should probably do this. We also were joking about it, having a couple glasses of wine, saying, like, well, we're both immortal. We're never going to die. But, you know, as a formality, and Glenn had left his stuff out there. And I remember him being, like, creating his will. He's using legal Zoom and putting it all together. And he goes, Sean, you are going to inherit all of my debt. And I was like, no, no way, man. You're getting all my debt. And we're like laughing about it. And that was it. You know, we signed each other's over. My future wife became the witness to the will. Like, you know, her name's on the signature of, the, of one of the witnesses. And it was all fun and games. Um, so, yes, I, I knew I had the responsibility. Um, and we didn't take it lightly. But we made it something light. Like, you, we didn't say like, hey, you know, this is serious stuff. We kind of said, hey, look, at it. if I die... I want you to take all the money that's left over. And this is literally a Glenn quote here. Take everything that you can scrounge together and go and throw the biggest kick-ass party. I want you to take our friends on surf trips. I want you to go heli skiing, throw the best party you can, and and celebrate. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, Glenn, I don't think there's going to be any money left over. But if you do, go buy a six-pack of beer for my stuff and you know have fun with it. And uh, – and that was it. That's how we left it. So, but then, you know, then shit hits the fan, right? Then the 9-11 happens and all of a sudden this is real. Um, and I'm faced with managing an estate in a very, very public spotlight. And I'm like, all right, well, Glenn, you know, no disrespect, but I'm going to take whatever I can from your estate and I'm going to give it to your family. And I'm going to give it to your mom and your sister and your brother. And if there's anything left over, I'm going to create a fund. And, and we've done that. I actually I, I, I carved out a little bit of it for a, a, an investment fund that we call the Cult of Recreationalism. And uh, 
and I dip into the cult of recreationalism with select high school friends, those same guys I talked about earlier. We actually flew to Nashville, Tennessee a couple weeks ago, and I bought the condo, you know, rented the condo that we all stayed in to go watch the New England Patriots get their asses kicked by Tennessee. Um, <laughs> but, that, that wasn't you know, the intent. Uh, that when was you were not going. the intent. Right, right. But, you know, that was that was in line with his wishes. Um, but, you know, at the time, obviously, it was, hey, take care of the family. So sure. so we did that. And then Kate, Glenn's sister, you know, she she had this restless thing in her about how do we how do we share Glenn's story with more people? How do we explain to them how important he was to all of us? And that's where the foundation was born from. So in early 2013, uh, we started the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, and its sole purpose is to help special operations soldiers from all branches of the military transition out successfully to civilian life, primarily through scholarship. Uh, you know, if Glenn stood for self-improvement, what better way than to get a continuing piece of That's your education? Awesome. Um, and, and, you know, the way to do that is, hey, the, the GI Bill covers most of it. But if you're a smart guy and you want to go get your MBA, you can bet that an $80,000 school bill is not 100% covered. So let's fill those gaps. Let's plug those holes as best we can. And there was great public sentiment around um, around Benghazi. And we had a great wave of fundraising. A couple hundred thousand dollars came in right away. And so we decided to create an endowment for the foundation. Um, we didn't know what we were going to do long time. Uh, long-term, a lot of us had day jobs and regular jobs. So this was just, you know, this thing that we had an idea for. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. So we created the endowment and then we had this budget that every year we could give away a certain amount of money and then we could keep doing that in perpetuity. That was better than getting all the money, giving it all the way the first year and then you're done. Um, yeah. So we, we've kind of lived by that. But then we hit this wall in 2017. So last year... We had more applicants for scholars, and I mean really well-qualified people, uh, than money. All of a sudden, we had to say no to people. Mm. And I'm going like, oh, this sucks. Like, this does not sit well with me. Um, you know, I'm a pretty competitive person by nature, and I was not happy about that. I was like, wait, wait a second. You know, we have to say no? And that was it. Like, we didn't have any solutions. It was just this problem. Problem is we ran out of money. Um, we have these great ways we can generate funds. We run the Boston Marathon. We run the New York Marathon. We have a local road race in, in Winchester that all generate great funds for the charity. But, you know, that was it. And uh, and so that was kind of where we left things off was, you know, there. And then that's a whole pivot of how we came up with a solution for all that. But, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was a very unique chapter to go from mourning the loss of a friend to creating the legacy around uh, around his person and and have that take the shape of a foundation that really stood for the things that Glenn stood for. Yeah, <clears throat> it really is. Extremely cool. Yeah, and yeah, I, that was a tough morning. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say that was a tough morning in the team room because we were in Niger and – wanting to, you know, hit that call and all of us kept getting the uh, turnaround. And I know, uh, some of our boys over in C110 were also feeling a little bit, uh, angry that morning just as well. But for you guys to take something, uh, a tragedy like that and really turn it into something positive based on his, you know, mantra with his life and the way that you guys all work, that's, it's incredible. 
Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And, and boy, we could take this whole conversation in a different direction if we want to talk about when you were down in Nigeria. And we'll just leave it that it was a, a very, very frustrating experience for the family and his closest friends to go through. And obviously, we know how no this doubt. all unfolded on the political stage. Um, but goddamn, that that burned me up. Um, it's imagine. funny. I, I, you know, I had a phone call this morning with a. Uh, with a guy named John and I haven't met John before, but John was working with Glenn and he reached out, he emailed the foundation and said, Hey, I'm going to be in Massachusetts later on this year. I'd like to go to, I'd like to go to the Memorial stone. I was with Glenn the day he died. And I'm just like, Whoa, like I've talked to a lot of people that were around that. And and I, I like to think I've got a fairly intimate knowledge of what happened and transpired, but I got him on the phone this morning. And I'm like, hey, I saw that you emailed us. Uh, boy, you know, like, uh, I'll drop you a pin on on where uh, the memorial is in Winchester, so you you can you can hit it. I said, but, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you. And sure enough, we know a bunch of the same people uh, from Glenn's line of work, and he's a super friendly guy, and just a, a couple human connection points there that were just freaking awesome to make six years later. Yeah. Um, wow. And, and, you know, and like, you know, I, I even purposely steered out of the conversation. I'm like, Hey, I know we could spend some time talking about things that are really frustrating. I'm just going to be happy that I'm meeting someone who worked with Glenn and, and, you know, could tell me more stories about him that, you know, from a part of his life that I wasn't, uh, closely connected to. So I, I was, I was really thankful. That's a for great that. perspective to have too. Heck yeah. That's awesome. Are you guys going to try to hook up face to face? Yeah. Yeah. I told him about the West coast Memorial, uh, Mount Soledad down here in San Diego, so he cool. said, you know, the next time he's out this way, uh, and, and you can bet I'm going to send him a big old care package of, uh, of the bub stuff to, uh, just to, to, to stoke him out. So let's talk about that a little bit because you, you know, you ran into that period in 2017 and, um, by the way, you mentioned bubs a couple of times that was Glenn's nickname. Uh, so, you know, at this time frame, you, you started bubs naturals. So, yeah, I, I mean, just kind of a. Again, this has all been kind of a – you can say I've had a very surreal six-plus years of my life here, um, uh, not including the getting married and having two awesome kids, though. though my, my wife has been an amazing anchor in through all of this. Um, but, yeah, you know, we had the foundation. We hit this wall in early 2017, and it kind of had this problem. How do you raise more money for the charity? And the only idea that I had in my head was – It'd be great if you could institutionalize giving somehow. Like, like how do you bake charitable giving into, you know, like a product life cycle? And so, what are the biggest know, discussions, as you know, for a nonprofit? You yeah. know, how, how do you how do you sustain it? How do you automate it? How do you like build it into people's life? And and yeah. I like things that like Amazon did. They were the one example I had where I said, well, they had this like optional tick the box for charity like when you're checking out and you can oh, yeah. kind of fill out your profile for what your favorite charities are. I was like, that's cool. But how do you bake it into a product? Like how do you bake it in even further into the buying process? Um, so anyways, this idea is circling around here and I come home from work one day and there's a box from Amazon, of course, and my wife has opened up and she hands me this tub and it's a tub of collagen protein. And she said, I want you to take this. And I said, why do I want to take this? And she says, because you're not getting any younger. 
And I said, oh, oh all right. Uh, well, what does this stuff do? <laughs> the thing that you it's want. vintage, your... babe. We're vintage. <laughs> Man. And now keep in mind, my wife's, you know, she's about 14 years younger than I am. And, uh, and was it so really she, blue she... pills? Was it really the little. <laughs> <laughs> Should have taken the red pill. Wait, we got two kids out of this deal. So good, you know, I'm not going to answer that. Um, so, so she, she buys me a tub of collagen protein and I look at the, the jar and it says great for hair, skin, nails. And I'm like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I wouldn't mind having a little more hair. Um, me too. and, and, and I'm not going to lie, Eric, <laughs> boy, I, I'll send you a tub, but I don't think it's going to help. There. Um, uh, that's okay. I, I stay aerodynamic. <laughs> I like that. I'm heading in that direction. So I'll join you soon. Um, and then, you know, the next thing on the benefit side says joint health. And I'm like, oh man, like, you know, I'm 45 years old. I got creaky ass knees. Like I'm achy. Every time I walk up a flight of steps, you can hear me a block away. And, uh, yeah, you guys know. Oh yeah. And, and then it says muscle recovery, gut health. And I'm like, what is this stuff? And my wife's like, just take it a scoop a day. All these nutritionists and these health bloggers are all talking about how great collagen protein is. And she's like, and your joints suck. So you, you need it. So I'm like, okay, I'll do whatever you say, hon, of course. And I start taking the stuff, follow the instructions. It's a heat-tolerant protein. So I, I throw it right in my coffee. It's unflavored. And sure enough, it doesn't taste like anything. I'm like, hmm, all right. And about three weeks into it, my nails are growing like freaking crazy. And I mean like I'm a guy looking for the nail clippers. Like, where the hell are they? <laughs> Crack nails. <laughs> and then, you know, a week later, uh, we have to go to a wedding. I just gotten a haircut like a month ago, and I needed another haircut. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I get like two haircuts a year. Now I need like, you know, one every six weeks. So I, all of a sudden, I've got these two data points of this thing. So now I'm curious. I'm like, what is in this stuff? And I look at it, and it says, bovine hide collagen and i'm like cowhide so i google and i start diving around and all of a sudden i find all these articles and it talks about the amino acid profile of what collagen is as a supplement and the real turning point here is after two months of taking it and i've got bad knees i snowboarded for a long long time i run i like crossfit i like doing a bunch of weightlifting stuff and you know, it's just, just living kind of active down here in San Diego, but I was really feeling the hurt on my knees. So like I wasn't squatting as much. I was drifting back in weight. I was, I wasn't moving forward in advancing the PRs. I was kind of like trying to hold my ground and I'm going to need some of this right after this. I got you covered, buddy. Trust me. It's a game changer. Um, <laughs> Does it turn your Robert's hair? Well, I, I was going to ask you about turn to black because you already mentioned to me, Sean, about my, my beard being gray and everything. So does it turn that? Is it like hair color for men? Does it like change the beard? And No, but I can buy you some hair club for men if it helps. <laughs> it just makes your beard more manly. Oh, there you go. Okay. That's what it is. It'll be hardier and fuller. Yeah. Um, so so no, unfortunately, I, I can't help you there. But so anyways, I get two months in on this stuff. And my joints feel awesome. Like I, I never forget, like the morning I woke up, um, I, we had flown across country and done a bunch of running, and we get home from the trip, and I'm like, I get up and I'm walking around, and I'm like, holy crap! Like my knees don't hurt. My knees hurt every day, and they just don't hurt. And 
I, I dude, it's been like that ever since. So I kind of knew as soon as I felt the joint health benefits, I'm like, I'm going to be taking this stuff for the rest of my life. That's it. I'm sold on it. And that was, it was just a personal thing. Like the way we buy vitamin C, I'm like, I'm going to buy collagen. Um, and that's where the idea was. I, I, I looked it up. I, like I said, I Googled it and it turns out that collagen is the most abundant protein in your body, uh, even in the UK. Uh, so, uh, you know, no matter what country you're in. We'd, um, <laughs> we've oh, got a program over in the UK. Taken care of now. <laughs> Wait till you listen to this one. So we've got a program in the UK called Dragon's Den, which is similar to Shark Tank in, uh, in the US. And somebody came on once with collagen. So they were putting collagen protein into gin. The alcoholic drink. Oh, brilliant. Oh, my Lord. Only now, in the UK. Is, there's so a winner get drink, the US. drunk and strong. <laughs> so it's sort, of like, sort of like Fireball, I guess, right? Isn't it Here's what I like, guys. I like that I am going to trademark the shit out of that as soon as we hang up. <laughs> I'm barroom fit. Well, Glenn was more of a bourbon guy. So I don't know how we're gonna do the collar bourbon, but I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. And... <laughs> collar bourbon. There you go, collar bourbon. Fig, there we go. Figure that one after the trademark. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Ingredient list. I'll just call it collaboos. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have a whole brand. <laughs> oh boy! Wow, this really took a left hand turn. Um, now, so so, anyways, you got, really you got you've got yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've got uh, you've got collagen, right? It's the most abundant protein in your body, and after you turn about twenty five, you stop making it. So your body naturally stops producing it, and that's why you know nails get softer, wrinkles happen, you don't recover from exercises fast, uh, the joints hurt, all that stuff. And um, and so literally, collagen is the glue. It, it is it is the connective tissue of your body, and when you don't produce it, you can supplement it. And you don't need some fancy product with a lot of different flavors. Uh, you know, those are out there. But it's just this one thing. It's just cowhide. You're just taking the connective tissue of the cow with this great amino acid profile. And that amino acid profile helps you with hair, skin, nails, joints, and your gut health. And it's as clean as could be. So I know that I'm a customer for life. Enter my partner, uh, my business partner, TJ Ferreira. So TJ's just a lifting buddy. Uh, he's a guy that we, we chat about some work stuff here or there, but he's just a friend. Comes over to the house, grabbing a cup of coffee, and he sees this tub of collagen on the counter. He sees your nails. Yeah. Sees my beautiful nails. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you had a good acrylic or something on there. Well, you know, that's where the, that's where the wife comes in handy. Um, <laughs> so but he sees this, and he's like, he's like you take this stuff? And just like I told you guys, I start raving about how good my knees feel, how great everything feels. And he just looks at me and goes, well, we should start a company. Now, a little background on TJ. He's 20 years in e-commerce. He's a direct-to-consumer like guy. He's the guy who knows how to target your Facebook ads to the right person and uh, build the right shopping platform. And He's the, the guy platform. listening to me when I'm talking. And next thing I know, I go on Facebook and I get all these ads popping up. So that's that's him. He came up with that. He he triangulated you. Yeah, he knows exactly <laughs> how to hone in on you there. Um, and you can bet as soon as we hit the UK market, Scott, that uh, you know we're going to populate the hell out of your feed. Um, no, so so he has up this, on his Facebook ads. Yeah, right now we've already got you. It's just come um, on my screen. <laughs> <laughs> Call it Jim. Yeah, Call it Jim. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he you know he comes over and he says, well, we should start a company. 
And I'm looking at him like, oh yeah, sure, let's start a company. And I said, well, you know, just for 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 argument's sake, what does it look like? Like, what does this company look like? And he goes, look it, I've been watching collagen on a couple of different programs, and it's a fast-growing natural supplement. The industry's really, you know, taking off. I have some experience with this. Um, let's take a look at it. And I said, okay, you know, you are the subject matter expert here. Like, what does it look like? And we look at each other, and the first thing we both say is, we've got to do something cool for charity. And it was like one of those like goosebump moments because we both said it at the same time and, and for different reasons. Right. And for him, he was a guy who in his late 20s wanted to get the papers to go in and join the Navy. He was looking for a contract to go in and serve his country. And he ends up getting in a bad car accident, gets hit uh, with a TBI, and that's it. He's ineligible. He cannot serve his country. But the itch to serve never left him. And so throughout our friendship, you know, he's always been doing things in e-commerce to help people out. That's just kind of that's kind of one of the itches that he has to scratch is I wasn't allowed to serve, but I can help team guys or I can help guys in, in the military out. And so he's always dedicated a portion of his business to helping others. Um, so we both said it. And, and I'm thinking immediately about the Glenn Doherty Foundation. Sure. So I'm like, well, I know what we can do. Like we got to we got to help Glenn's foundation. And we're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, Glenn's call sign in the Navy was Bub. And we're like, yeah. I'm like, so we're going to call the company Bubs, and we're going to give this crazy amount to charity. Okay, what does it look like? And then we really dove into it. We're like, what do the best brands do for charity, and how do we kick their ass? Um, you know, and that was it. It was the best brands, you know, in in that are charity minded give like between one and three percent of net sales. Uh, to charity, and we said, "Well, let's give ten percent." Yeah, ten percent. Can we even do that? I don't know. And then we just kept ratcheting it up. It was like, "No, no, let's not do ten percent of profits. Let's do ten percent of every sale. Like, let's really put a stake in the ground and do something that nobody else is doing." And uh, and that was it, man. The idea was born. It, it was crazy, but um, you know, we we kind of. Figured that if we were going to do it, that the world didn't need another collagen brand, but maybe the world needed a brand that was this hybrid of helping other people through charity while helping yourself through the benefits. And the brand really became this North Star around the principles and the ideals that Glenn stood for, self-improvement, helping others. And Glenn was literally the glue for so many people, and collagen is that glue. So it just all really just linked up together, and hell, here we are. I love it. Reciprocity and generosity, man. That's really freaking cool. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, you know it was an experiment. We didn't know if it was going to work. Um, we had you know we vetted it out with a bunch of guys that Glenn had served with, his family. Um, you know, obviously Heather, my wife. And everyone came back and they're like, look, it, Glenn would kick your ass if you don't do this. Because straight up, it felt a little weird, you know, like yeah. founding a company named after your your dead brother and best friend. Like, you know, that's that is definitely not normal. Um, and I challenged myself. I'm like, you know, is this is this right? Is this the right thing to do? 
And, uh, you know, the way I did that was by vetting it through all of our closest friends. And everyone came back and just was like hammering the point, like, you got to do this. You got to do this. And I'm like, I'm not an entrepreneur, uh, but I guess I am. So, yeah, we we rogered up uh, all of our life savings, uh, TJ and me. We went halvesies on it. Uh, we pulled in a great designer and um, and some legal help. And next thing you know, uh, we're up and running. Um, so we're, we'll have finished out 2018 and have donated probably just shy of fifty thousand uh, dollars to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. That's awesome. So we're well, we'll be in like the high forties. I don't know what the exact number is going to be, but um, I think it's going to I think it's going to you know work out to be forty seven thousand or forty eight something like that, which is way way more than I, I thought would have even been possible. So let's talk a little bit about Bubs Naturals because I think you know if some people are going to be listening to this and they're going to hear that it's from you know bovine cowhide whatever you know type of thing and they're going to be wondering more about it like you said gookum could be your friend here but um you know i i think it would be helpful to explain a little bit more about the product is it usda is it fda is it something like that that people can have some assurance that they're taking a quality product and uh, what might be in it yeah yeah for sure so so there's a lot of collagen on the market, and you get a lot of different price points. Um, and, and literally, collagen comes from two sources. Um, assuming we're talking about cow collagen, there there are other forms of collagen. There's pork collagen, uh, there's marine collagen, fish collagen. What's but, the difference? Well, it's all the hide, or it's all the from the bone. So you see a lot of bone broth and and bone collagen products. And that's a slightly – it's a similar amino profile but not exactly the same. So bone is a little bit cheaper and bone is a little bit harder on your digestive system. So th- those are the negatives against it. Um, so it's, it's a great product but it's not for everyone. It can be a little bit tough on you. So the, the, the premium product for health benefits has always been considered the hide. Um, that is that direct connective tissue that – is a little bit easier to digest, has a great amino profile, and really kind of expounds those health benefits we talked about earlier. So when I say it's cowhide, I mean just that. It is the cowhide. It is the throwaway um, you know, from the slaughterhouse. And you take that hide and you throw it into this big like lime slurry. And, and all that does is it basically that citrus stuff like boosts the amino profile of the amino acids that are mm, already sitting crazy. inside Sounds the delicious. <laughs> mm, oh, it's good stuff. And and you throw it in a washing machine, and you cook it, and you grind it into powder. That's and crazy. That's wow. it. It, it is, that's why I love it so much is that there's no mystery ingredient. There's no, like, you know, thing you can't pronounce on the jar. It's literally ground-up cowhide. So... That's pretty simple. And when it's marine collagen, it's fish scale. You know, like no one's eating fish scale. No one's cooking with it. No. It's a throwaway. So you're upcycling a lot of these byproducts as part of Somebody's a listening going, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I told you, Sean, that, you know, back in a former life working at a life sciences company, uh, I was looking at a bioprocess manufacturing facility and part of our raw material was bovine serum. So, of course, I had to go to a slaughterhouse into the kill zone and and see just how those things function and we talked about this about you know those places there's nothing that goes to waste literally everything gets used and that's what you're talking about here this is just yet again another byproduct that comes out of yeah 
yeah, it's it's wild, right? To think that like, what are they going to do with that little chunk over there? Oh, that's going to be made into some sort of hand lotion. Yeah, yeah, Whoa, exactly. All right. Yeah, dog um, food or you know whatever. It'll be the juice that goes in the dog food uh, that gets the you yep. know yeah. It's just crazy all the stuff they end up using it for. Yeah, it, it really is. And so when you know when I discovered collagen and I realized how simple it was, that was really attractive to me. And then it was very easy to understand that hey, just like when you have a whey protein. A whey protein, which is basically skimmed dairy from the cow um, with a lot of flavors added to it, has a certain amino profile for a complete protein. And that amino profile really helps with muscle recovery and muscle growth. Very easy and very understandable. Well, there's this whole world of connective tissue like your gut, for example. And there's no amino profile in a whey protein that's helping with your gut. In fact, if anything, dairy can be disruptive to your gut health. So you've got this collagen, this clean, unflavored, heat-tolerant protein that's going to coat your small intestines and allow those healthy bacteria to grow and do their job properly so that you can eat foods and have it pass through a lot easier than, um, than, than without it. Sign me up, man. You're telling me I'm going to take great shits? I'm all about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and other proteins. It always goes to that with men, doesn't it? Eventually. You know what? Yeah. I think well, Suzanne Summers did something on this, like in the mid 90s or something, if I remember right. From no, like no, no. That was that, that was that spring loaded uh, thing that she did with her. Uh, <laughs> you, you got the wrong video. I don't know which one you were watching. Is Chuck Norris involved? Because that's all I want to know. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck Norris, Thigh Master, little Suzanne Summers. This is where this is where the generation gap is really kicking in here. Do-do-do-do-do no, three is company too. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. <laughs> so is there um, now we went off in left field. It, yeah, now we're out there. Now we're um, definitely out no, there. So, so she might have. Uh, I, I can't speak to Suzanne Summers. I can tell you this. I, I am happy to get her some bubs because uh, uh, we could all use it. <laughs> so so going back, though, I mean, is there anything? I know it's all natural. You said how it's just basically broken down to a powder. But people nowadays, has got you know, you've got to be careful of whatever you take just because of the processing steps. You know, or are they clean? Is, is somebody verifying the quality? So... Oh, yeah. So, you know, like ISO or anything like that involved from a regulated standpoint or, you know, quality standpoint. So so this supplement is can be a little bit of the Wild West. Like I said, you can buy different grades. You can get cow. You can get Chinese cow, Korean cow. um, She's never thought of that. uh, I didn't want any part of that. I did not envision a world where I was marketing Chinese cowhide to the U.S. audience. It just didn't. I just didn't think it resonate. No. didn't, didn't really, really ping my radar. However, uh, Brazil, which has a pasture-raised um, agricultural system, made the most sense. And it turns out that Brazil is where you can get the cleanest cow, um, non-GMO, with all the certifications, um, pasture-raised, which, of course, means that these cows eat grass. So you got grass-fed cows. And all of a sudden, you're you're ticking the box in terms of not just consumer quality, but quality of life, like happy cows, happy collagen, not stressed animals, all that stuff. And, and that, ma- that actually matters, you know, and I'm not going to get into all the details of how that matters, but they have a balanced hormone structure and, and they're, they're just living their, their cow life, eating grass out in the fields, not knowing that one day they're going to be in a jar making me happy. Yeah, um, right. Or on my dinner but, table. Yeah. Or on your dinner table. <laughs> right. 
Um, but you know, <laughs> you've got, you got exactly in my coffee right now. But you know, you've got a <laughs> gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, sugar-free, corn-free, non-GMO, paleo diet-friendly, keto diet-friendly uh, protein that's going to help you. Like I said, with your gut health, with your joints, with your hair, skin, and nails. And you're like, well, of course there's no gluten in it. It's just cowhide. Of course there's no sugar in it. It's just cowhide. You know, there's no calories in it. It's not going to mess up your macros. It's just going to complement it. And that, that from a quality standpoint was something we really wanted to nail. So you can get some cheap collagen out there. Um, and it'll be okay. It'll get the job done. Um, I'm not going to knock it. But you do get what you pay for. And the two things that I wanted to solve for beyond the charity was flavor and solubility. And and by flavor, I mean I didn't want to taste it. Uh, I, I, know, I know, Robert, you know all too well the smell that comes out of some mm. of those facilities. And you do not want to package that smell and put it in a jar, slap the Bub's logo on it, and, and have it get opened up and have someone go – yeah. Whoa, tasty. This is horrible. It's a new brood of Fabergé. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man scent. Um, <laughs> Man so, musk. <laughs> oh, there's some musk in there. Um, so unflavored <laughs> was super important. And then the other part that was important was solubility. Like how well does this stuff perform? Now, at its root, collagen is a connective tissue. So it wants to bind, which means it's not going to perform really well in ice cold water. It's a gelatin, essentially. So you pour a scoop of, of cowhide into an ice-cold glass of water, it's going to gum up and be gooey. Um, as soon as you get to, say, room temp, like out of the tap, you're good to go. In coffee, phew, dissolves right in. Um, but you want to solve for that. So you want a really good hydrolyzed product, which is basically a fancy way of saying you're going to increase the surface area of the powder to allow more water to absorb into it. And so when it came to look for the mark of quality, we sought out the most unflavored, the highest solubility, uh, the easiest to use in your, in your daily routine. That was what we wanted for quality. And it had to be pasture-raised. It had to be non-GMO. Um, it had to have all the certifications for us to feel great taking it to market. That was, that was a criteria. If I'm going to put Bub's name on it, it better be the best you can get. Now, are you guys taking the rawhide from the slaughterhouses, or is there a process before it gets to you? In other words, do you get it in powder form because you have a third-party vendor? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it, I get it in a powdered form. I get it as a finished product. Um, the only thing I would ever do to it is, and I haven't done this yet, but we, we've discussed this, is the possibility of adding different flavors to it. So, hey, a vanilla, a chocolate. Again, has to be all natural. So yeah. clean, simple, but you know, some, we've been – People are asking. They're like, "Hey, I love your collagen, but I don't like that it's unflavored. I want to. I want chocolate." I'm like, well, all right, I'll we'll check that out. So, check back in a year or so, and and hopefully we've got uh, you know an assortment of flavors. But no, man, it's it's just that one thing, just bovine hide, just clean clean collagen. Just want me some clean bovine hide. It doesn't everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so like like we said, we we started this business with the idea that hey, we're going to give 10% to military charity. And we didn't know if it was sustainable. We knew that other businesses would do these like flash products where like one item would be on sale for a week at 10% to charity. And that's cool. But we just wanted our entire company to be about 
just more about living rich than being rich, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, no, and, and that's kind of that's where we we came into it from was, you know, hey, if we can make a living on this, great. If I can help a bunch of guys transition out, that's that's how I measure success. That's how TJ and I look at this and say we've done something right. Like writing those checks is just like we did this. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great story, and I know you guys have a number of other products like MCT or oil powder, which is derived from coconuts, and you know gin. <laughs> MCT gin is next. <laughs> Cocoa gin. Cocoa rum. But uh, yeah, you know, and you guys, you guys have uh, you know other products and stuff that people can check out. And I think what's uh, really nice is the way you guys, like you said, have been able to tie this back in and try to find a way to sustain, um, you know, the foundation, what you guys are doing in support of veterans. What you know, you want the way in which you want to honor your friend. Uh, it's it's just really tremendous. And I know a lot of people listening to this podcast will definitely want to get behind this. And so. The next question, of course, is how do they find out more about it? Can they just Google, you know, Bubs Naturals? And is that how they're going to find you? Yeah, I mean, that's probably the easiest way. Uh, BubsNaturals.com. So it's B-U-B-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S.com. Uh, and then, hey, half the world's on Amazon. So we actually have a great partnership with Amazon. They're, um, they've been great to work with. We're on Amazon Prime. And uh, we actually have a relationship with their Launchpad program, which is where Amazon seeks out new brands that they think are making a difference, and uh, and they kind of promote you as a as a newer entrepreneurial brand. So we're we just launched on the on the Launchpad program, so we're we're excited to do that. But our website is is you know quick and easy. Uh, that's what TJ's here for, making that easy. Um, we have links back to the foundation. And a little bit of the backstory of you know where Glenn came from, where I come from, and you know how this whole thing came to be. Um, but yeah, that's that's where you find us, and um, and Amazon, like I said, those are the two easiest ones. We are rolling out at some select uh, grocery stores, but we wanted to you know be available direct to consumer first and kind of establish ourselves uh, in that lane, and then kind of backfill any retail opportunities after that. And you guys are, of course, are on social media as Bubs Naturals on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the, the local or usual suspects and everything so that you can find information out about the products and about yourselves. And like you said, the backstory, it'll have links to the website and such as well. Uh, and I, I appreciate, Sean, you coming on and telling the story of not only yourself, but about Glenn and about the foundation and the ways in which you're trying to support everybody here. And uh, I know that we could probably spend probably another hour, not just talking about Benghazi, but talking about some of the ways in which you as an entrepreneur have founded uh, startups and, uh, you know, created cash flow, uh, got funding, all those types of things that I think would be very important and uh, very informative for our listeners as well. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. There's, there's no shortage of material there in terms of like pitfalls and mistakes and opportunity and uh, problem solving. I mean, anyone who who's who's been doing anything that is kind of uncharted, um, you know, hopefully you can find people around you that have done it first, that you can learn from their past mistakes or from their just from what they have to offer. Uh, but yeah, you you stumble a lot. You just be prepared to to fall down and pick yourself back up and uh, have some thick skin because if you don't, you're not going to last. That's for sure. Well, I think the key thing you also said in the very beginning is that you had to put a lot of skin in the game yourself. You put your money in to get this thing kick-started, and I think in a lot of cases that's what 
not a lot of people are willing to do, you know, is uh, is to put their money in there at first. They're they're looking for other people's money and that they can go in and not have as much risk. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, this was as risky as it gets. We we haven't taken a dollar of investment. Um, you know, we wanted to to get this thing up and running on our own and uh, and learn along the way. I mean, I we've been drinking through a fire hose because I'm a I'm a sports marketing guy. I, I didn't ever consider myself a consumer packaged goods person in the supplement space. So it's been a massive learning curve and we're lucky we got some great advisors around us who've kind of been down a version of this road before um we have a a consumer group that likes what we're doing and now we've got some metrics behind us with what we've done with the charity that we're just going to build on and grow on and, and expand on you know i mean i hell i'll be honest i'm excited eric to talk to you and learn more about what you're doing a lot of connections. Uh, you know, <laughs> I would say it's a two-way street because I was like, uh, I'm probably going to need you as a mentor hereafter, if not for me, for somebody else within my network. So I, I'm definitely looking forward to future conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and Scott, my mom lives in London, uh, yeah. so I, I head over there every once in a while. So um, unlike your buddy who stood you up and you ended up with an entire career, uh, I'm happy <laughs> to meet for a beer when I head over there. Definitely. We could talk gin. Yeah, it, it, it samples some. <laughs> he he doesn't live that far uh, either, right? Uh, couple what? couple of hours from London. Yeah, Down, okay. Yeah. Cardiff, Wales. Yeah. Cool. yeah, yeah. Not bad. So you. Um, but yeah, you know, this has been an absolute honor to be on here and be able to talk with you guys about this, and uh, you know, just uh, kind of share this this fairly unconventional um, path that I, I guess I've been on and. And the whole nation has really, I mean, Benghazi itself um, and, and taking something that has been, you know, a tragedy and a, and a mourning and trying to turn it into something celebratory is, uh, you know, it's more than a Hallmark card. It's it's something you got to strive for and, and, and fight for and make happen. And then you can really, you know, you can create a positive out of, uh, you know, out of a negative. You just got to, you know, be willing to do it. 